With terror attacks in Israel and warm meetings between the Israelis and the Russians, there's a lot we could speak about this week. We will, however, start with the anniversary of the Six-Day War, the taking of Jerusalem, the biblical capital of the land, and, of course, the biblical heartland itself. Welcome back to the Bible in the News. This is John Billington with you this week. I believe that for our generation, one of the greatest signs of the times is the regathering of the Jewish people back to their homeland and to the capital city, Jerusalem, which, as we say, happened in 1967, the anniversary of which was this past week. But what makes it even stronger is the simplicity of the prophecies and how directly they have been fulfilled. If we take time to think and to read these prophecies, I believe it is one of the largest proofs of God's existence and of our faith. And it should be no surprise then that God himself turns to the Jewish people to prove his existence in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 9 and 10, where it says, Let all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring forth their witnesses that they may be justified. Or let them hear and say, It is truth. Ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God, uh, there was no, uh, God formed, neither shall there be after me. Now, for many of us that are alive now, including myself, we can't remember a time when the Jews were not in control of Jerusalem, let alone when there was no state of Israel. But with the passage of time becomes familiarity. It's a tough one to say, actually, if we're honest. And uh, complacency. When we look back in history and to the time of Moses and Joshua, we can see that God knew it would be a problem then as well. And for this reason, God stresses to his people to pass it on to the next generation, the works that he himself, God, had done for them. And in our time, I don't think it should be any different. What we are witnessing with the Jewish people and with a number of things, we could say Russia, we could pick any topic, but specifically to the Jewish people, uh, we are witnessing God's own uh, work with them and the fulfillment of his word uh, with his uh, chosen people, I believe, must be told to the rising generations. And in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 8 and 9, God said at that point to the nation, he says, What nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as this law, which I set before you this day? Only take heed to thyself, and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thine heart all the days of thy life. But teach them to thy sons and thy sons' sons. And we could go to a number of different passages where God drills this into his into his people to pass it on to the next generation, the marvelous things that they have witnessed in their in their time, and the things that were witnessed in the generations before them. And in our day, and maybe in our parents' and grandparents' days, as we are saying, incredible events have been witnessed, and especially in uh, is uh, in re in, revelant, in relation, sorry, in relation to the return of the Jews. And as God says in Isaiah forty-three. Who else can declare these events in advance? The return of the Jews back to their land is spoken of extensively in the scriptures, and in most cases it's directly, uh, in, directly and if not uh, indirectly. And now when I, when I say about the fact that it's spoken of extensively in the scriptures, um, I actually took the time, I kind of got interested in this, and took the time and went through the different scriptures and 
to look for this this you know in in each book and especially I was looking in the minor prophets but to see you know how how many of the authors of the scripture were writing about the return of the Jews especially obviously the prophets and we can go right back to the time of uh, Moses when the nation was only itself just uh, fresh uh, and and they were still in the wilderness at this point and God writes you know through the through the inspiration of scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verses 1 to 3 he says and it shall it will come to pass it shall come to pass when all these things come upon thee the blessing and the curse which have been in the in the uh, in the previous chapters he says which i have set before thee and you're going to call them into mind among the nations whither the lord thy god hath driven thee and shalt return unto the lord thy god and shalt obey his voice according to all that i command thee this day thou and thy children, with all thine heart and with all thy soul, that then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion on thee, and will return and gather thee from the nations, whither the Lord thy God hath scattered thee. So right from the time of Deuteronomy in the scriptures, God is talking about a scattering and a regathering. We can go through many of the, many of the, uh, especially the minor prophets, to see this, and I've actually put a list of them on the uh, on the written on the written one uh, version of the Bible and news news, so that you can uh, you can see it. But I mean, going back, I, I go through second. I went to Second Samuel seven uh, into the Psalms, and then through all the uh, and through all the minor prophets to see if we could if we could find this. And in most of them, it's direct direct uh, quotes you could look uh, look to, such as the one here in Isaiah 11. I'll just read this one to you, which is, uh, which is, a, which is a beautiful one, and was actually read out at the, uh, the UN in the vote by Chaim Weizmann in 1948, before they voted for the, uh, the, the nation at that point. But it says, Isaiah 11, verse 11 and 12, And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time, to recover the remnant of his people which shall be left, from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. And he shall set up an ensign for the nations, and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel, and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Incredible, these things that God wrote about thousands of years ago, and we today have the privileged situation to be able to to witness these things, these events, and and uh, you can have a look at the written uh, the written version. But I went through all the uh, virtually all the minor prophets to find uh, some some hint of it or direct quote of it. But it's no surprise then when we come to Acts chapter three, verse twenty and twenty one, the apostle Peter says the following: He says, "And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you." whom the heaven must receive until the times of the restitution of all things, which God hath spoken out, spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. What restoration is he speaking of? It says the restitution, which is restoration in the, uh, in the RV. What restoration are the holy prophets speaking about? By this point, I think it's probably clear. And it's the same restoration that the apostles spoke to Christ about after his resurrection in Acts 1 and verse 6. And they asked him, Lord, wilt thou restore again the kingdom to uh, the kingdom again to Israel? At this time, they're saying, are you going to do it now, Lord? And we're asking the same question today, 2,000 years later. But it doesn't mean that it's not coming. The, the, the events have gone through, the, through time, and God has now, you know, 
brought his people back uh, for a set time. And, and it's we are, as I said, privileged to, to see these things. And so this is the kingdom that all the holy prophets spoke of and looked for. And the kingdom that Jesus Christ himself spoke of in Luke 22, verse 29 and 30, when he was speaking to his disciples, he says, And I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me, that ye may be able to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Real kingdom, real promises, and there you go, real thrones. So, uh, incredible uh, things that we're witnessing as, as these as all this starts to come to pass before our eyes and we come to the conclusion of many of, the, of these events that, uh, that we're looking for, and this kingdom that has been preached for millennia can finally be set up on the earth. But it's the same promise when we go to Hebrews 11, uh, the same promise in the same kingdom, the same country, the same society that faithful uh, men and women for, as we say, millennia have been looking for. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And in verse 16, it calls uh, it calls it a heavenly country. But, let's be clear, not a country in heaven, because we know that Abraham was promised land in the Middle East, from the Euphrates to the river of Egypt, and you can see that in Genesis 15 and 18. And so here we are today, 49 years on from the Six-Day War in Jer- uh, when uh, Jerusalem was released from Gentile hands. And so we can see without a shadow of a doubt the clear teaching of Scripture is true and its promises are truth and its words are truth. And if we stand back and we look at these prom- uh, these prophecies and promises and we look for the big picture... We know that we're on the edge of some of the greatest events this world has ever seen. And we can see the events in the nation of Israel as they turn more religious. And it was Solomon's prayer at the dedication of the temple when he said um, to the Jewish people, he said, when, when, you, when you're in captivity, when you're, when you're scattered, he said, if they turn to any praise to God, if they turn to you again, God, uh, that God would hear them. And as he has many times in the past, as you go through the, the book of the Judges, many times, you know, they would go off, you know, you know, to the one way or the other apart from God. But then in time, God would, they would go through difficult times and they would come back to him again. And so it's exactly what we're seeing t- today is the, is the children of Israel going through difficult times, which will again lead them back to their heavenly father. But we can look at other things in the world that show us of the nearness of Christ's return, uh, the, the the return, while we could we would say the Messiah is coming, the return of the Messiah, that we could look at anti-Semitism growing, we could look at the events in Europe and Russia, as we do many times on the Bible in the, uh, the Bible in the news and uh, on the Bible magazine, but in our age. In just our age, many Bible students have looked for this and looked for these events for hundreds of years. And you can add to this to this the significance, the fact that we're, uh, you know, almost another year of the Jubilee that Dave spoke about a few weeks back. We are living in incredible times and have been for some time. It was my great-grandmother's Christadelphian meeting in 1917 when the Belfort Declaration was published. They stayed up all night singing hymns. It was a monumental time. And they'd been waiting for it for, at that point, 
the community, the Christadelphian community had been waiting for that to happen for 50, 65, 70 years. They'd been waiting for, my math is bad, 50, yeah, 70 years, 70 years about that they had been waiting for those events to start to happen with Britain and the Jews. And it's, uh, you, can, you can read more about that in Bible Magazine, Volume 26, Issue Number 1, uh, viewable online. And at that time, there was so much excitement. But when we look back, there was still so much that the, you know, the nation had to, at that point, it wasn't even a nation. There was so much the Jewish people had to go through before the nation would be born. I mean, they went through the Holocaust. They went through dreadful times. But in, 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 in over time, these things have continued to come about. And again, in 48, there was so much excitement, but yet at the same time, so much heartache that would follow. And same story in 67, with the taking of the biblical heartland in Jerusalem. Only six years later, they're into the Yom Kippur War, when, when many were, were tragically killed in that, in that attack, when, well, that war, when the, uh, when the Arabs staged a surprise attack at the beginning. But in all these things, the Almighty is shaping his nation, that they can be what they they will be, they will be what they were originally meant to be. In Exodus 19, a, a holy nation. And Hebrews 12, verse 11 says, uh, No chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. And as individuals, the difficult things that we go through help to shape us and mold our characters Certainly it was the case with the King of the Jews, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, of whom it was written in Isaiah, uh, sorry, in Hebrews uh, 5 and 8, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And that was Christ. And, it was, and it's the same, if, it was the, if it was, that's the way it's for Christ, it's the same process that his nation is going through. But when you think about that with Christ, actually on a side note, we shouldn't do side notes on Bible News because you don't have time, but... How can you have something, uh, a doctrine of something like the Trinity, that, that Christ himself and God are the same, when here's the Lord Jesus Christ learning obedience by the things which he suffered? Clearly that can't speak of God himself. However, when we look at the news this, this week and the terror attack in Tel Aviv, it's clear that the difficult and painful times are not over yet. It was on Wednesday evening when two terrorists had entered the Max Brenner Cafe. They ordered drinks and took out their, took out their guns and began shooting and four people were killed and many more wounded and it was simply uh, horrific and in many of the arab villages celebrations erupted and candy and cookies were handed out and i'm not making that up literally cookies and candies handed out and in the area of uh, of uh, hebron the arab area of hebron and, and in gaza it was a moment sweet enough for fireworks so sad and yet so twisted but regardless, it did not take long for the rest of the world to warn Israel of, of its response and as it started to react to the attack. And according to, to uh, Reuters, uh, the U.S. State Department spokesman Mark Toner had this to say, We understand that the Israeli government's desire to protect its citizens, uh, but we strongly, and we strongly support that right. But we would hope that any measures it takes are designed to also take into consideration the impact on Palestinian citizens that are trying to go about their daily lives. And for me, I stop there and I say, this is, this is ridiculous. I mean, Israel has ultimately taken away their hall pass uh, for those living in Gaza and the Arabs in the area of the West Bank. And the world 
Sorry, and uh, work passes, I guess, were cancelled for those living in some of the areas. But, I mean, the reality is, I mean, you had a major terrorist attack on one of your major cities. And, you're, and you know, the U.S. is saying, just make sure you don't impact innocent civilians' lives. I mean, my response would be, you know, innocent civilians are going to understand what we're going through here. Just hold on a hot minute while we get this sorted out. But I don't know what I'm missing on this. I mean, ultimately... Uh, Israel doesn't take pleasure in in manning checkpoints and rescinding hall passes, but in but a country has a duty to protect its own civilians. But what makes it so hypocritical? I don't want to get into this too much. But when you look at the U.S.'s uh, recent record on effect on a, just if we say affecting uh, civilians' lives elsewhere, you could take the Afghanistan war: twenty six civilians, twenty six thousand civilians are killed and almost thirty thousand wounded. Iraq, only since 2003, on the minimum low end, 120, 112,000 civilians are killed. And on the high end, you get numbers up to approximately 500,000. Vietnam's about the same, 587,000 civilians. Those aren't civilians affected by roadblocks. Those are ones that are actually killed. Uh, I mean, for them to turn around and, and tell tell Israel to to be careful of civilians, which of course, I mean, Israel doesn't want you know to to needlessly bother people. But I mean, all we're talking about is 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 just telling everybody to stay where they are, where they get it sorted out. However, to, if we can put Israel in a bad light or make it look like there's some reason that the people are are doing this, uh, they certainly will. It was the UN High Commissioner for the Human Rights. Uh, Zayed Rayad al-Hussein, who says, uh, the Jerusalem Post reported, that uh, this will, you know, this, you know, reacting and cancelling, um, uh, as I call it, hall passes, is, you know, locking the place down. They say it's, you know, he calls it collective punishment, and he says it will only increase the sense of injustice and frustration felt by the Palestinians in this very tense time. And such actions, he he warned, could further fuel uh, Palestinian violence against Israel. But as I looked at all that, and I think it's it's crazy, and literally as I'm writing this Bible in the News, then the, the news came through of the terrorist attack in the U.S. in Orlando. And, you know, 50, 50 are killed. And you, I can't help but think they're, you know, you're getting a taste of what Israel has been putting up with. But, you know, on, a, on another side note, you know, there's terrorist attacks happening in Paris. There's terrorist attacks happening in Brussels. And now there's terrorist attacks happening in Orlando. Uh, and there's there's no land dispute. This has nothing to do with land. It's all to do with with uh, with the so-called Palestinians be, being fueled by the rest of the world to, to continue this anti-Israel sentiment and to, to keep this going. However, that's, uh, that's, that's a discussion for another day. But we spoke about Israel's hardships not being over yet. And well, although we do pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we know that the prophecies such as Ezekiel uh, 38 and Joel 3 tell, us, tell the, the story of a northern confederacy of nations coming down on Israel uh, led ultimately by Russia and the Vatican. And you can read more about that again in the Bible uh, magazine. And this has been dealt with on this program extensively as well. So, in, But in this past week, uh, and I, it's, not, I, I, it's not good news, but Net, Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, travels to Moscow to meet with uh, Vladimir Putin. And many in Israel see this as a, as a good relationship and as a good thing. 
But if you know the prophecies, this is not good news because Russia will be anything but a good friend. It's in Ezekiel 38, verse 10 and 12, where uh, speaking to Gog, the leader of the Russians, God says that it will come to pass at that same time that things will come into your mind and you will think an evil thought and say, I will go up to the land of unwalled villages and to those that are at rest and dwell safely. And, and it carries on to take a, po a spoil and a prey. There's an evil thought that is that is um, that is had. It says regarding the invasion of Israel, and so cozying up to Russia in any way is is, uh, is as far as the scriptures are concerned, got nowhere good to go. But interestingly, at that moment, it's there. You know, Israel in that prophecy of Ezekiel 38 is living peacefully in a state without walls, bars, and gates. It's obviously a temporary peace because before long you've got the northern invasion coming but or invasion from the north. But it says it will be a time of trouble such as never was. But through those final terrible events, God is refining his nation and leading them to holiness. And here we stand 49 years past the Six-Day War. Let's not doubt any of these things. It's still continuing. The, the populations in Israel are going up. God is continuing his work. And on his, on his, you know, on his clock, where, you know, we get jumpy over, you know, in time we can, you know, think that it should have happened by now. It's God's the one that's, that's, you know, laying this out. And we're nearer than we ever have been before. But before that terrible invasion, Malachi tells us in the last chapter of Malachi that Elijah will be sent out to teach the children of Israel. And my question is, is that what the time of peace would be for, is for is for a teaching in the land? It would be nice if it was. This we know for certain, that we are in the time of the redemption, and we have been in the time of the redemption for quite some time. We're on the door of, of events, divine events happening openly in this world. What an incredible time it will be, and what a shock it will be to this world when they realize that there actually is a God. But this is the door of what is about to be opened in this world. And, in, and for us, we can take you know, these prophecies and we can think about them. But at the end of the day, it's got to affect us. We've got to look at ourselves and say, okay, now am I ready? Am I ready to stand before a judge? Am I ready to, you know, to, to, meet, our, to meet our maker, as we say? So with that, we'll end the Bible in the news. We appreciate you coming and uh, come back next week. It's always, there's always something to, to discuss with the scripture and with the Bible and the news. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye-bye.